Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Thomas, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. This episode of the Spark Parade is supported by Before the Chorus. Hosted by award-winning interviewer Sofia Lopicaro, this podcast dives into the stories and experiences that shape the artists we love and ultimately the music we hear. Previous guests have included Glass Animals, Clipping, Japanese Breakfast, and Julian Baker. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, So, I'm back, and all refreshed from my break. I hope you had a lovely New Year and Valentine's Day and whatever else happened to you in the interim there. Now let's just get right back into it, shall we? Uh, My guest today is English punk and folk singer-songwriter Frank Turner. Frank spoke to me about his spark, the documentary Instrument, about seminal post-hardcore band Fugazi. Uh, Frank is a Fugazi super fan, and that really comes through in our chat, so uh, this was a fun one for me. A few quick facts to warm you up. Frank Turner began his career as the vocalist of post-hardcore band Million Dead, then embarked upon a primarily acoustic-based solo career following the band's split in 2005. To date... Turner has released nine solo albums, four rarities compilation albums, one retrospective best of album, one split album, and five EPs. Turner's ninth and most recent studio album, FTHC, was released on the 11th of February, 2022, just weeks ago, and it reached number one in the UK albums chart in the week following its release. Well done, Frank. Uh, Quick facts about Instrument. Instrument is a documentary about the band Fugazi, who are noted for their style-transcending music, DIY ethical stance and manner of business practice, and their contempt for the music industry. Instrument was shot from 1987 through 1998 on Super 8, 16mm, and video, and it's composed mainly of footage of Fugazi concerts, interviews with the band members, practices, tours, and time spent in the studio recording their 1995 album Red Medicine. The film also includes portraits of fans, as well as interviews with them at various Fugazi shows around the United States throughout the years. And there you go. Armed with that knowledge, let's move forth into the world of conversation. Here comes my chat with Frank Turner about instrument. The jumping off point is always, uh, do you remember seeing this movie for the first time. 
yes. I mean, I'm not going to be able to put an exact date on it or anything like that. But um, when I was uh, in my late teens, I was um, in my first touring band uh, who were called Knee Jerk. Uh, there were three of us. And uh, we did a couple of uh, DIY UK tours. And somewhere around that time, I'm pretty sure at like someone's house after a show or something like that, someone had, I'm reasonably sure, like a VHS copy uh, of Instrument. And, um, and it got put on. And I was, um, I was kind of at the beginning of an obsession with Fugazi at the time. It hadn't quite peaked. Uh, and arguably, the film is one of the things that made it peak. Um, but, uh, I was definitely interested to see it, um, and pretty blown away by it. Yeah. Um, I guess th there's a few different, uh, lanes of inquiry here, but, um, you know, there's the filmmaking, there's the music and there's the band's kind of ethos. Um, all, all sure. of those things combined, um, uh, making this, this film what it is. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, it's very obvious that this deviates from a traditional uh, rock documentary structure, um, that this is not a, a typical version of, of what you would get there. But um, kind of this idea of um, using a, a fine art filmmaking template to create a rock documentary, not necessarily looking for a traditional narrative structure, having points that they want to touch on. Um, about the band, about themselves, about the way they interact with their fans, about their politics, about what life on the road is, but all of it in this loose, that there is structure there, but it's, it's very much taking little elements of, of what's gone on and not necessarily wanting to have a story, um, b behind it in traditional, um, you know, beginning, middle, end trying to achieve some kind of narrative structure. Absolutely. I guess what I would say, though, is that the interesting thing, whilst it is, of course, a Jem Cohen film, it is, it is not a film made by a third party about the band, really. It is a piece of art that is at least co-constructed by and with the band, mm -hmm. you know. And in that sense, it's almost, it's like a, another Fugazi record, except it's a film, as opposed to a documentary about them as a band. So, you know, in a way that is not in any way kind of disguised, they have a hand in the presentation of it. It is it is there. It is a statement made by the band rather than a statement made about the band. Uh, and of course, at some levels, it helps to have some prior knowledge about who they are and what they're doing before you watch it. But I guess what I'm saying is the way that I regard it is different from you know watching a film that's yeah made by a, a director and, and a documentary team about a band and sort of studying them as an object um they they are the instigators of of the thing and and in a way once you understand that you know it's it's uh it has as much to say in the way that any of their records does you know and it's them saying it you know and the fact it doesn't have normal structure is kind of the point almost in a way, you know, and I, I love the way that it kind of, it begins and it almost tempts you with this idea that it's going to tell you a story about who Fugazi are. And the back end of the film is pretty grueling in places, you know, and it's mm. certainly, um, uh, I was talking about it with a friend of mine a couple of days ago and, and we both agreed it's, it's kind of, by the end of it, it's definitely a film for the fans. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, not necessarily one for the casual observer. And my wife, who is not particularly enamored of, 
I, she doesn't dislike, but she's not in, she didn't grow up with punk rock. It's not really her thing. Um, I remember us watching the film together reasonably early doors in our relationship. And sort of by the end of it, she was like, is this ever going to like stop? Um, <laughs> because both the music and the, the visuals kind of um, start kind of collapsing in on themselves a little towards the end of the film in a way that I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's more it's more a piece of art than a piece of documentary to me. Yeah, and you know that's what it reminds me of is seeing installations in museums and galleries, and being right. able to say, I can sit down and engage with this as a casual viewer for three minutes and then say I've had my fill. Or if you're somebody who really loves the artist and is really engaged with it, you can sit for the full two hours and really let sure. it wash over you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I find that really interesting. Um, it's obviously not meant to be a very, you know, commercial piece. Um, but absolutely. <laughs> and there's, I mean, there's, there's stuff evidently, there are messages they're imparting about themselves, and they are presenting their kind of ethical case in, in many places. And on an individual level, that's one been one of the most resonant parts of it for me. Um, I've long thought, and there, there, I am kind of slightly joking when I say this, but not 100%, that I've long thought that there is a kind of, there is a common ground between punk rock and Catholicism mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, there is definitely such a thing as punk rock guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is definitely the case that whilst one, if you've ever been a punk, you might be an ex-punk, but you're never a non-punk. It's always sort of hovering somewhere in your life, you know what I mean? And on that level, I mean, you know, I've worked with major labels in my time and I've um, done many things that I'm sure that Ian Mackay would disagree with but there is always a little part of me that's slightly wondering how he would feel about my choices not i suspect that he would give a fuck um and i've actually come to know him a little over the last few years and he's a delightful and non-judgmental man but it you know they make their case and whilst i'm not going to sit here and claim that i as an artist have followed their own ethical directives to the letter nevertheless i feel like the kind of the driving ethos the spirit of who they are and how they approach their art as a kind of community activity and a fiercely independent activity and an act, and, and it's a type of art that in contrast to the kind of Britpop bands that all my friends were into when I was younger sort of had values and it had you know ideas to impart in a way that like Oasis didn't you know what I mean and all due respect to them but like as a teenager, being into Fugazi was a lot more meaningful, I felt, than being into ISIS, you know. Um, it taught me things about how to conduct myself. And I like to believe that they still govern a fair amount of my thinking about the world. Right. And uh, another thing that I find interesting about this, and I think uh, Ian Mackay says something to this effect, that it's this kind of push-pull between being prescriptive, telling your fans and your audience what the meaning is, and also letting them decipher it for themselves and not wanting to, you know, uh, make people think that uh, every single second that they have planned out has to be interpreted in exactly the way that they want it to be. But, you know, there's elements in this film as well where it's, there's very clear indications of their politics, of what is important to them. And then seeing those scenes with the kids kind of hanging out outside and just being like, 
fuck them, man. They're not going to tell me how to behave in the concert. If I want to yeah, dance, yeah, so. I'm going to fucking do it. So, yeah, seeing that contrast. At the, at the very least, those, those scenes, I feel like, demonstrate that they have a sense of humor about themselves, mm. or at least a, self, a self-awareness about who they are and what they're doing. And, like, I distinctly remember, because I'm lucky enough to have seen Fugazi once before they split, and um, there was a sort of controversy um, around their kind of stance on violent dancing among some people, you know, because a lot of people like Fugazi liked other kind of like heavy rock bands of the era, you know, Um, and they are a heavy rock band. I mean, they're a punk band, whatever you want to call them, but they just, um, there's a complexity and a depth to everything that they did and which both stands above kind of other kind of more mainstream heavy rock bands from that era, but also like, I think in contrast to so many other punk bands, and I'm firmly maintained that Fugazi are the most important punk band in history and the most punk band in history. And like part of that is that there is so much art in what they did. You know what I mean? And the film, I think the film demonstrates that. Um, I I can't think of another band, another punk band who would ever make a film like Instrument. Do you know what I mean? It's just, no one's gonna fuck, it's just, it's not really within the catalog when anyone do that. And then in- interestingly to me, that includes Minor Threat. Now, Minor Threat were my first love of Ian MacKay's output, and I still have a huge soft spot for their work. But in comparison to Fugazi, it's it's very brittle. Mm. Um, it's a lot more, it's a lot more kind of preachy and it's in places. And it's kind of, dare I say it, it's more kind of like male somehow. It's more kind of like macho. Mm. And there's something much more kind of ambiguous um, and open to interpretation in Fugazi, you know, there's a there's an, a deliberate obliqueness that leaves, as you were saying, leaves space for the listener, or in the case of this film, the observer, to draw their own conclusions. And hardcore in its original format didn't have a huge amount of that kind of um, light and shade. You know what I mean? Much as I love it, but I mean, you know, songs like Straight Edge aren't especially subtle (laughs) should we say you know um whereas i think that there's a there's a kind of even as a listener when i first started getting into fugazi there's a kind of mystery to it almost you know what i mean like you have to work out what they're talking about in a way that you don't with a black flag song right yeah and you know lyrical and musical complexity but i think also the reason that fugazi as a band represents this kind of bridge between hardcore and alternative you know grunge all of that kind of stuff is that it i don't know i don't know that it's more accessible but there is variation in the melodic structure you know hardcore can be a lot of things to a lot of people but the sound is quite uniform and also just thinking about that transition as it relates to what you were saying about or what we were saying about um their rules of etiquette about dancing in the concerts that it was like uh to to my mind a reaction to the crowds uh at hardcore shows when you see minor threat crowds black flag crowds where people are just kicking the shit out of each other each other and it got to be that that was the point is like a place to release that aggression you know in in addition to or instead of actually caring about the music absolutely yeah i mean there's a story about how like um and i can't quite off the top of my head remember this is included in the film or not but there's a story that goes that like when ian mckay sort of post mind that andy post embrace was kind of searching for people to put a band together with he was talking he had a conversation with brandon canty and he said what sort of influences are you interested in he said james brown Mm -hmm. and that's just the most fucking mind-blowing thing for the singer from minor threat to say and that is punk as fuck you know what i mean and they just blew open the palette of what what a band from the punk scene 
was allowed to engage with creatively, you know? And like, if you are of a certain kind of librarian mindset, you can sit there and point to how Fugazi essentially invented about eight different genres over the course of their recording career. But actually that's kind of, in my view, thinking about it the wrong way. What they did was they demonstrated that there were no limits to what sounds you could make within the context of punk rock. And there are funk influences in what they do. And there are, um, kind of noise rock influences what they do and there are kind of guitar pop influences in what they do as well and it was just like it wasn't so much like uh, identifying other sort of pigeonholes that were now acceptable it was trying to destroy the concept of pigeonholes full stop whilst also I, I feel like Fugazi are almost the moment where punk as an ethos truly takes off from any particular individual sound mm -hmm. you know what I mean um, as much as I love it all, prior to that, there is a much stronger kind of bond between a particular sonic aesthetic and that set of values. And um, a lot of people have noted that like post-punk as a phenomenon that existed in the UK was interesting because it took the principles that punk rock sort of uh, articulated about politics and actually applied it to the music they were making as well, because ultimately the first wave of British punk was pretty musically traditional mm -hmm. in its way. And, and for guys, it was kind of a similar thing, you know, it was just kind of like, if we believe the following things about human behavior, we can also believe them about the way that we play our instruments, you know? And um, in Britain, you had this huge decade long sprawl of what constituted post-punk in america you kind of had fugazi you know right. who did it pretty much single-handedly and i think that's fucking staggering yeah and you know that point of letting other influences in or having a broader spectrum of influences talking about like reggae and, and stuff like that sure. um, and coming out of again the hardcore scene which is not just predominantly male but very predominantly white you know with like the exception Absolutely. of bad brains um i i, I can't think of anyone um so yeah. having that contrast maybe even having fans who just have no connection to black music whatsoever being told that it's like no this this music is a huge influence it's a huge part of what makes us what we are um is, is pretty remarkable i think additionally throughout this whole film and um throughout their career that idea of i mean i think uh i i don't really like categorizing what they do as DIY. I think that's a bit reductive, but saying uh, wanting control over their output, over their image, yes. uh, over the way their music is distributed, over the way, uh, you know, uh, access to their gigs, all of those kinds of things. Um, and that's very clear in this film as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on a personal level, I mean, there were two kind of like, I, I've been somebody who's done a lot of touring in my life and there were sort of two moments of inspiration for that. And the first one was reading Get in the Van by Henry Rollins about the Black Flag years. And I was like, I was a young teenager when I read that book and I did my first tour when I was 16 years old because oh. that's what bands do. And we, me and my friends booked it from a payphone at our school and we did two and a half weeks around the UK and played to fucking no one, I might add. <laughs> um, but, but we got in a van and we went out and did shows because that's what punk bands do. And more to the point, we didn't wait for somebody else to do it for us. We didn't wait for permission to do it. We were, it was like, this is what we do next. And how do we do that? Cool. There's a book, your own life page and fracture zine. We'll fucking follow that. And that was the first thing. And then you watch a, a little later. And once I'd started doing the first few tours, you watch instrument and there's a, First of all, I mean, you know, Fugazi were a pretty fucking commercially successful band in some ways, you know what I mean? Right. They certainly, they played, I, when I saw them, they played to two and a half thousand people and they were doing three nights and they were all sold out. That's pretty fucking good, mm -hmm. um, you know, and and they did it on their own terms and that's hugely inspirational. Um, and it, yeah, to me, you know, DIY just, I, 
I think DIY is a term that gets much abused and DIY doesn't have to mean photocopied sleeves uh, to, mm. to me and like bad quality. It means not waiting for permission and it means being proactive, you know, and if no one else is doing it for you, then, then get the fuck on with it. Um, and, and all that kind of thing. The second thing I, th I want to mention at this point that I feel very strongly to still applies to what I do is that like something for guys who do that, that I find really inspirational. There's a way that bands can be political, which I personally find pretty trying, which is the sort of like, um, have you seen that film, Get Him to the Greek with Russell Brand mm. in it? It's that sort of like, which obviously is a parody of it, yeah. but it's that kind of like, that's that sort of declamatory sort of like, I'm important in one field, therefore I shall be important in all fields. And here is my opinion on humanity and I'm basically the Pope and all this sort of shit. It's and Bono syndrome or whatever you want to fucking call it. Mm. And, and, and I find that kind of grim and like, in the extremely minor way that I've been a public figure in my career, I've done my best to avoid that sort of rhetoric, should we say. But something that I've kind of figured out with the help of instrument, specifically in Fugazi more generally, is that like the area over which I have direct control in a meaningful way is the atmosphere at my shows. Mm -hmm. So over the years, the groups that I have taken out as kind of charity representations on tour tend to be ones that are related to the business of live music. So for example, Safe Gigs for Women, Able to UK, who do disabled access for shows, Stay Up Late, who uh, bring people with learning disabilities into a live music context, uh, the Ally Coalition, which is about LGBTQ youth and access to shows and this kind of thing. One could make the argument that that's parochial. You know, these are all organizations that deal with values within the context of the very small corner of culture that I occupy. Mm. But the point for me, I mean, this is the, like I say, the thing I like to think I learned from Fugazi is that in so doing, first of all, you're being sort of, you're having humility about your reach in the world. But secondly, the whole fucking point of punk and hardcore to me was it was like, this is almost a little kind of sandbox in which we can try out some ideas about how the world could be or should be or whatever and about talking about individual human interactions and that kind of thing and my the extent of my job but also of my responsibility in a way is to kind of draw some lines around how people behave at my shows and then kind of say and now it's up to you you mm -hmm. know you will now go and live your life and it's not my business how somebody behaves in their job fuck me but i can if i but if somebody learns something about being considerate and being open to difference and that kind of thing in the context of a show then maybe they will take that to their job and maybe they will go on from there and that's an interesting and empowering idea to me but it's there's something about in kind of being realistic about defining the barriers of the the, the limits of your own kind of authority almost would mm -hmm. be the word um you you also are then able to focus your efforts in a useful way so of course disabled access is an issue that is more important than just wheelchair ramps at gigs mm. fuck me I, mm -hmm. I i know this to be true i'm not an idiot but at the same time if i can make that difference within that context then hopefully it highlights the issue because everybody who comes to a gig also lives in the world outside of that and they can take that forward from there and mm -hmm. I, I feel that is a thing i do a lot and is a thing that i feel very strongly that I learned from Fugazi. Yeah. I mean, all of that also uh, brings up another element of this to me, which is the time period that this is an artifact of a very specific moment in musical history because it was right at the cusp of when the internet started being infused in every single aspect of all of our lives. And I think um, the political performance has become even more a part of uh, 
you know, public figures uh, idea of what they need to do and how they need to get respect. Um, so the idea that this band was living their values and doing what they could with the people in front of them to articulate that when it wasn't about broadcasting it to the entire world because there wasn't a way to do that yet um, is even more remarkable to me. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a really good point about the historical context of it, because I mean, the other thing is, of course, that Fugazi came up in the way that they did at a point in time when alternative guitar bands could sign to major labels for a shitload of fucking money. Right. And they never did. And hats off to them for that. But also, you know, one of their folk, they, they and Ian remains this way in my encounters with him. He's very focused on D.C. because he's from D.C. and it's his town. And an awful lot of the activism Fugazi are involved in was centered on D.C. And it remains the case that Discord Records puts out records by bands from D.C. I can't be on Discord Records because I'm not from DC. And like, I had a kind of funny chat with him last time I saw him. He was like, he was like, I mean, I guess if you moved here and lived here for like a year, we could talk about it, kind of thing. Um, but uh, you know, and I think there's something kind of like admirable about that. And and I think that there are moments when people kind of talk about Fugazi being a little sort of like preachy or overbearing or whatever and I think to my mind that's likely to misunderstand them because I think that in some ways by their very existence they throw down a gauntlet but the gauntlet is kind of like we're doing this in our town right. and it's not our fucking job to do it in your town you do it in your town like fuck you do you know what I mean and like it's not Fugazi's job to make people raise causes, money for causes in London do you know what I mean like they'll come and play and that's fucking great but ultimately they're a band from DC and, and uh, I think there's something kind of cool about that yeah and I, I don't really understand uh, the perception that they're being preachy. I mean, you know, saying things like, don't be homophobic, don't be racist. And then also saying to people in the crowd, don't fuck each other up. We want everybody to be here, be present, sure. listen to the music and oh, yeah. not get hurt. Um, it's all just kind of basic stuff to me. And um, oh, Absolutely. And I, but I mean, I think that one of the things about that, though, is that we, 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 you and I have this conversation in a very different cultural context to 1993 or whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think that particularly within the confines of the rock scene, which, as we've noted, was very male and very macho in many places and all the rest of it. But, but then also at the same time, as the film highlights, they were pretty fucking funny with it. Like I mean, <laughs> yeah. me and my friends... There was a certain group of my friends to whom, to this day, if I'm trying to alert them to anything, I will just text them "ice cream eating motherfucker" <laughs> yeah. um, as my as, as my opening gambit in a conversation. Um, and you know, I, there's a part of me that wants to like. There was a my old band, Million Dead, had a song called "ice cream eating motherfucker" for a while. It changed its title over time, but um, <laughs> you know, it's they were they were funny motherfuckers. Do you know what I mean? They were they were entertaining with it, and there was something kind of that drew the sting out of it. And certainly as a performer, I've learned that the best way to engage with the crowd is to be funny rather than angry. Right. Jesus Christ! If you if you lose your temper, then you've lost the argument, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, they were they were they were trailblazers for that. I mean, our culture has collectively moved in a direction that's more in line with where Fugazi were, and like fucking hell, we're talking about thirty years ago now. Do mm. you know what I mean? Like that's a long time. Um, and you know, they were ahead of that curve. Good lord, you know. I, but I, yeah, there's there's something about like it wasn't just like don't beat each other up because it's inconsiderate. It's also as you keep as you've mentioned, it's like because I, we we're making art up here. We'd like you to sort of notice, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, there's a, it's funny. Like I mean, I've played in heavier bands in my time, and there is a level on which seeing a heaving pit is quite satisfying. But you also slightly wonder if anyone's paying attention to what you're actually doing, and right. have slaved away at in your rehearsal room in your bedroom. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, 
And also just stylistic stuff, like having those moments, seeing seeing those moments where they're expressing their beliefs, where they're talking to the crowd, whatever, but from the perspective of not quite the band's perspective, but from the stage most of the time. And having that angle also just, you know, the stuff with chatting to fans and the parking lot. Um, having that amazing interview with that girl on like public access, um, you know, which again is like a, you know, a very of its time thing. Like it used to be that you could pay $200 or whatever and where, whatever city you live in, you could have a little hour long show on TV. Yeah, 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 totally. But but again, I mean, credit credit to them for doing that interview because Absolutely. a lot of bands of their ilk wouldn't have done it. I mean, actually, some, another thing that's worth mentioning at this point is when I was about sixteen or seventeen, I had a zine that did precisely one issue, and it was fucking awful. Um, and if anybody finds a copy, I will be forced to kill them. But um, but the one good thing in the zine was that there was an interview with Guy from. Fugazi in there and what happened was this is very early doors for the internet full stop but I found an email address for Fugazi and thought fuck it and sent them a list of 10 questions and he replied at great length Mm. um, about a month later Um, and I printed it and I put it in my zine and it was cool as fuck he had no idea who I was or or whatever and to this day as as an artist now myself like my email address is on my website and I get 50 to 100 emails a day and I fucking answer every single one of them and I do interviews for people's zines and shit like that because they did that for me you mm. know what i mean and like it i've done that hundreds if not thousands of times and maybe one of those kids is going to go on and be in a band later that goes somewhere and but they will do the same thing and the idea gets passed down or whatever um but you know that that kind of accessibility was so startling to me mm. as a kid you know and and it's it's a it's an idea that i try and keep alive to the extent that anyone cares about what I do, but do you know what I mean? It's like, if people want to get in touch, they can get in touch. Yeah. And, you know, I think that goes to everything we've said about the band, that it's this idea of, uh, democratizing access to opportunity, not saying, you know, everyone should have a fair shot at achieving their goals. And if you're going to stand in the way of somebody else achieving their goals, when you're saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and nobody's going to stand in my way, it's a contradiction. Absolutely. I mean, for me, like one of the most striking things about punk rock when I first encountered it in the flesh, as opposed to buying, you know, the first Clash album on CD when I was like 13 years old, when I went to my first ever punk show that I went to, the first band finished and got off the front of the stage and the second band got out of the crowd and picked up the instruments and did their set. And there was something so physical about the fact that I've been standing next to the bass player and from band number two that would blew my 15 year old mind to smithereens and because prior to that I'd just seen some bigger more sort of corporate rock shows or whatever and the idea that they weren't hiding in a dressing room or a limousine or whatever was like staggering to me and for God's such a great exemplar of that and it's just the idea that music and art more broadly is a conversation within a community right and you know, and it's funny because I went through a phase when I was younger of trying to sort of like in an anarchist way, trying to deconstruct even the, the idea of a race piece of flooring for a stage I was thought was bad because there was an implied authority imbalance there. Uh, mm. It was kind of like highfalutin 16 year old theory shit. <laughs> but but ultimately, you know, there is a there is a justification for someone to take a turn with the microphone, should we say. But what demo- what is demonstrated in the instrument and in Fugazi more broadly is that like once the show is over, 
the floor levels are reset you know what i mean mm-hmm. and people are back on a level with each other again and i find broadly speaking ideologically speaking art is more interesting to me when it is a conversation amongst equals than when it is a diktat from one class to another you know what i mean i don't i as much as i respect the guy's art like the idea that david bowie was a space alien and you know, space oddity and all that, and spiders from Mars. It's just kind of like, then why should I give a fuck? <laughs> like, what has this person got to say to me? Like, I don't want to have that conversation. I want to have a conversation with my community about what we're living through, and that's a thing that personally I've gone on to find in more in the folk scene as I've got older and that kind of thing. But it, again, it was a similar kind of ethos because it's people with guitars writing songs about what we did last weekend, and there's something punk as fuck about that. Um, and, you know, and and discussing our issues and telling our stories in a sort of communal fashion and there are aspects of the way that my career happens that don't live up to that every day or the rest of it but I I hope and I like to believe that there is an element of that spirit that survives in my methodology yeah and that point about uh the connection between punk and folk I think is really apt and it's you know on the surface these are diametrically opposed forms of music that sound completely sure. different appeal to different crowds but that uh ethical core um is similar and also you know thinking about other artists who've done things in the same way as fugazi people like ani defranco who have their own label you know release all their own music have done everything on their own got to where they are by just touring and touring and touring and touring and getting their message out that yeah there's there's a, a lot of similarities there anyway there we go uh, F- F- yes. fugazi and ani defranco yeah. together at last Sa- same <laughs> same same <laughs> um i don't know that that was the conclusion that i was hoping to draw but we're gonna leave it there anyway <laughs> uh this has been great Thank you so much for your uh, for your time for making time. For it's you. been fun. It's yeah. been I, I, you know the the bottom line is I can talk about Fugazi forever. So um, uh, and actually I'm I'm gonna just finish this by slightly blowing my own trumpet for a second here if I may, but also telling you an entertaining story. Um, so I uh, a friend of mine used to work for the BFI, the British Film Institute, and um, a number of years ago he uh, he did a thing where he'd invite people of some sort of note to come and pick a film and show the film and talk about the film and I picked Fugazi's instrument and I gave a little talk for the film and somehow or other that a video of that little talk made its way to the members of Fugazi and they saw it so when I met Ian Mackay in Ithaca New York uh, maybe five years ago he was like oh you were the guy who did that talk and I'm like oh my fucking god it's the, it's, it's the Pope um, <laughs> or whatever um, and, uh, and and it was lovely we got on we exchanged phone numbers and all this kind of shit but I've then gone through this hilarious and it has it has definitely reached a point now where it's funny Ian to his credit maintains a very sort of strict policy about independent venues and this kind of thing mm. in my career I have played in many independent venues I've also played venues that are not independent or whatever and he said to me hey man I'd love to see you guys play next time you're in DC hit me up and the next time we we're in dc we were playing a larger venue and he was like i'd love to come but it's not really for me and i was like i felt terrible internally but i was <laughs> like okay um and then the next time we went through dc we were playing but it was the night before trump's inauguration and he was like i'm pretty fucking busy right now yeah. and it was like that's legit um and then like the next time I went through, I was like opening for like Chris Stapleton at some massive fucking country <laughs> show. And he was like, nah, it's not really for me. Um, and then the, the last time I went through, which was in October, just gone. 
we were playing in a fucking we, I was opening for Counting Crows which is a dream for me they're one of my mm. all time favourite bands but we were playing some fucking casino <laughs> and was like I don't even know what that is and just like whatever kind of thing but then beautifully enough he was like do you just want to hang out and I was like yeah that'd be great so we went to the Discord house and I had this absolutely magical day um, of, uh, of hanging out at Discord house and Ian showed me around and, and was, a, was a gracious host um, and all the rest of it. And, and, and it sort of reaffirmed my respect for the man, not that it had ever dipped particularly, but he was just a lovely guy and he's very self-aware and all the rest of it. But it was a beautiful thing. I mean, I had the, you know, the famous minor threat photo on the steps of the mm. Discord house. Me, me, me and my touring crew recreated that with Ian in the photo. And that's, that's a pretty fucking life moment tick for yeah. me. Um, and I have that photo uh, and I will gaze at it happily for the rest of my days. Yeah. I, I still have hope that uh, someday you'll be in this country and uh, find yourself in a small venue. So, I, I, well, well, the thing is, the, one of the one of the problems with it is, is that I've, I have played the nine hundred club, the, the nine thirty club, like a billion times, mm. but it was all in the run up to the moment I met him. By which point, I'd slightly got too big to play yeah. that venue, kind of thing. Just just in terms of the number of people who want to buy tickets, yeah, not yeah. in terms of my ego or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I'm sure that my career fortunes will lead me back there again. This is the natural cycle of things. And <laughs> that day, on that day, I will invite Ian to the show, and hopefully, he will enjoy what he sees. Yes, yes. Ho- hopefully, you'll be there by choice rather than by uh, force. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great thing. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. This has been fantastic. Thank you for your time, Alan. I'll see you again. All right. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Well, that was a good time, wasn't it? Thanks again to Frank for chatting with me. Uh, His latest album, FTHC, is out now and available for your streaming and downloading pleasure. Uh, Okay, little programming note here. Uh, During the Spark Parade hiatus, I came to the conclusion that my weekly recommendations have become a little forced. I think I've been recommending stuff just for the sake of having a recommendation. Not always, but enough of the time that I think I'm going to ease up on it a little bit. So recommendations are now going to be an occasional thing instead of a weekly thing. Um, But now you'll know that the stuff I want to turn you on to is stuff that I've just discovered and stuff that I think you'll love. And that sounds like a better deal all around, doesn't it? So there's something to look forward to. Uh, But for today, that's all from me. Please, for the love of God, follow me on social media at Spark Parade across the board. And then, you know, just let me know what you like about the show. If you've got any cultural recommendations for me, uh, that kind of thing, we can start a full dialogue. It's going to be great. But in the meantime, be good, be kind, look after yourself, and until next time, bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.